Hello and welcome back to another episode of Call Your Bridge Corner. I am your host, Owen McIntyre, and with me is Mr. Riley Jimison. We are going to discuss another species under colubrid that you may not have heard of. Riley, what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to be discussing the Jackson's tree snake, also known as the Jackson's bold-eyed tree snake. That is the Thraceops jacksonii. I love these names every once in a while where it's like, it's not just the Jackson's tree snake. It's the Jackson's bold eye tree snake. <laughs> it's like, why did you have to add that? And like, all right. Yeah. Okay. So when was it first discovered? And please tell me that the nomenclature is going to be simple. Uh, mm, no. Okay. Yeah, not, that's not really. <laughs> I mean, there's right. a lot of changes. They don't change much, but so first described, uh, and named by Gunther in 1985. So relatively recent. Um, but right. that's like the, the current uh, naming, I believe. I think, right. I think that was, uh, it was actually, oh, you know what? I'm, you missed it. You I, it I flip-flopped. It's it 1895. Yeah. 1895. So, 1895. Right. so yeah, it was described a while ago. Yep. And it was initially... Thraceops jacksonii. So it started out on the good foot. As it should have. Okay, so it started out as Thraceops jacksonii, and then it did a bunch of shit, and it ended. <laughs> yeah, it went back. All right. Yeah, All right, so ahead. it looks like some people tried to change it to Ramnophis, uh, and it throughout its trajectory always stayed pretty much jacksonii, although there was one point where they're like, no, bring it back to Thraceops. But it's now Rothschildii, which we know Rothschild is just all about money. So then they're like, mm. nah, screw that. Take it back to Ramnophis jacksonii. And they're like, okay, we're sorry about Rothschildii. We really want it to go back to Thraceops, though. Can we go, go back to just Thraceops jacksonii? Pretend this never happened. And then they did. Mm. And then somebody got upset and was like, no, Ramnophis. And then they're like, no, Thraceops. And, and then, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. and then a bunch of other people in the last uh, 30 years basically um, have confirmed that Thraceops jacksonii is accurate and correct given other research. So they've really uh, hammered that point through and they really want to make sure it stays uh, named jacksonii in honor of the English ornithologist Frederick John Jackson. I, 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 well, Sir Frederick John Jackson. Oh, Sir. Um, but, sir um, Frederick John Jackson. But he's an ornithologist. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, Why are we naming snakes after bird people? I think some of the original herpers and herpetologists probably started out as birders and bird watchers and developed a love oh, for looking oh, at God. species. Right. And you know, maybe that's where they got some of their original techniques or went on voyages with birders. Um, who knows? Nobody cares about the birds. Nobody yeah. cares about the snakes. Yeah. yeah. All right. You know how it goes. We're always uh, swept under the rug, or we're just well. Uh, listen, I'll admit that the normally when they're out there, birders are the first ones to find the cool shit. Like that's true. I remember in Australia, it's, these birders found Owen Pelly Python because it was eating the bird they were trying to find. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. Anyway, so what does this thing look like? This thing is badass this thing is glossy jet black with big mm -hmm. expressive eyes that sort of have like this green hue to them big eyes in the front of its short little head very slender uh they look intense they look angry and they can inflate their necks and do the whole 
whole make themselves look bigger and lateral. Okay. And it's a black snake, so it's kind like of... It's almost like a black tiger snake or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, you know what they yeah. remind me of is boom slugs. Yeah. Mm, so, okay. Uh, and these guys can get big. They can get 2.3 meters. So we're talking like almost a, an 8 or 9 foot snake. So... Yeah, so like 90 inches? I mean, that's... That's big. Yeah. That's a big snake. That's Yeah, that's almost 9 feet, right? Yeah, I mean, one second, and I'll let you know. Seven yeah. and a half feet. It's close. Yeah. Yeah, it's like seven and a half feet. Nine. Yeah, dear God. Yeah, that's, but it's a big. Color. But a relative, but a relatively thin-bodied animal. Right. So they're lanky. They're lean. They're probably uh, spending a lot of the time on their trees. They are classified as arboreal, so I would imagine they're you know cruising across branches is like a sort of an overhead highway to get to wherever they need to evade predators, hunt prey, things like that. Very lean and light. So they're yeah. built for life in the trees. Um, okay. And the interesting part about them is they are not born jet black. Um, oh, is it like a, a black rat snake? Yeah. So they go through an autogenetic color change, but they're born with green heads and a black and green body. So what? yeah, they're, right. they're pretty cool. And then they lose all that green, except for, you know, some little hue in the sclera in the eye. Uh, but around 13 to 17 months, so a year to year and a half, is when they uh, they should be fully jet black. Um, my assumption with that would be that's a camouflage benefit as babies. Be. They're going to spend most of their time in the really dense leafy foliage. So the green and the black, you know, leaves in the shadows. Um so that that you know seems to make sense. We see that in a lot of snakes, right? In reptiles in general, I mean, baby alligators are striped and colored, and right. then after a certain point, they just start losing it and becoming jet black because it's like after a certain point, kind of don't need to hide. There's right. a lot. There aren't that many other things in the area that can kind of mess you up. But yeah. I guess for these, I guess for the big guys, the adults, it's got to be. I mean, they have to be night hunters. No. Oh, oh my the, God, I so was wrong. <laughs> these guys are diurnal. So those big eyes are definitely built for, for chasing down and spotting food. My my thought process okay. with that black color would mm. would be that it allows them to thermoregulate pretty quick and efficiently without being exposed for too long. So they could probably okay, go out on some branches. Yeah. yeah, they could probably go out on some branches, warm up really quick, then retreat back into the shadows and, and hunt some for hunting. some food or or you know, yeah. or chill out. Um, and what's interesting is because the babies are so colorful that there's even notes, uh, in research about their belly colors. And, and I thought it was interesting because the belly on neonates are black and light blue with a black and yellow spotted tail. So if you think about looking up, uh, you know, up through some branches and seeing right. you know, the sky and leaves and, you know, stuff in the trees, breaks in the trees, yeah, it's perfectly camouflaged from the belly up. I mean, literally, yeah. it's it's amazing. So these snakes are are no joke. They they're built for life in the trees. They're camouflaged for life in the trees. And you know, sometimes when we talk about camouflage, we think about like greens and browns and odd colors and blotches and things. But when you see these animals that seem like they would stand out for these bright colors or just being one color, when you see them in these environments, you're like, man, I could I could totally walk right past that and not see that thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like. If you took a rock rattlesnake anywhere, it would stick out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. But sitting on the rocks that it matches, yeah, it, it blends right in, disappears. Right. And so it's got to be like that. This thing is just designed that no matter 
which way you're looking up, down, sideways, it's gone if yeah. it stops moving. Right. That's nuts. Yeah, they're pretty cool. And and it seems they are uh, much like a lot of other colubrids where the males are, are quite a bit larger than the females, too. So okay. imagine a big, impressive jet black male. That would be sweet. I mean, I can, but it's like an indigo. But um, yeah, it's like, but like but a lanky yeah. indigo. Yeah, it's it's like I said, we've almost like a lot of the. It almost is a like a lot of the animal, a lot of the rat snakes we see out of Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, tiger rats, bird snakes, things like that. Um, but it's it's an African species, right? So it's maybe a little bit different. Yeah. So think it's of kind them of almost as- like you'd see how they would kind of break away. Yeah. And evolve where. They've now evolved to an Asian forest with their colors and stuff like that. This thing's evolved to an African, like, small break in tree forest and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So, you said it. Definitely forests and woodlands where there's a lot of uh, appropriate hiding and, uh, and tree dwelling is where you'll find these guys in East Africa. And uh, in those trees, they're, they're hunting, as you would guess. Uh, some small mammals that might go up into trees, uh, bats, uh, you know, like bats just coming, uh, coming back from their evening roost. If these guys are waking up and sleeping at the entrance of cages, uh, yeah. caves, grabbing bats, uh, frogs, lizards, and especially chameleons. We know Africa, especially South Africa has a lot of, uh, a lot of chameleons. And, and then, so if you get up into the East African species, there's chameleons all over the place. And if these things are hiding out in bushes and chameleons are, you know, trying to sleep during the day, blend in and, and just hang out. They're going to, they're going to be sitting there. Yeah. They're grabbing those things all day. So uh, but you can imagine now it's like, you now have to hunt a chameleon, a chameleon that can look all different ways at all different times. Of course you need to be camouflaged. If you're going to sneak up on a chameleon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think, uh, you know, chameleons in general, I believe are, are rather diurnal, um, but maybe in, in parts of where they're at in East Africa, because of how hot it can get, they're maybe more crepuscular. So I bet you they're catching them at that transitionary stage where they're either yeah. like just waking up or kind of getting ready yeah. to hunker down for the night. And these animals have probably been, you know, stalking a lot of things during the trees and probably get very lucky if they're cruising around through some of those oases where there's, you know, the shelter and shade from the heat of the day. Yeah, I mean, and I also know that there are some boa and python species that eat, <laughs> they only eat sleeping lizards or something like that when they first get going. It's like their their main mission is life in life is to sneak up on a lizard when it's snoozing. And it's like, if this thing's looking for chameleons, they might be able to grab them just for them sleeping. Yeah. They're diurnal. Yeah. 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 And they'll, they'll raid birds' nests and take those eggs. Um, they are a rear fang species. So, uh, so venomous. Yeah. So these guys are, you know, ev- everything that I'm reading about these guys, it reminds me so much of Boiga and Boomslong, like everything about them. It's like, they're just another offshoot of something like that. It, it fits right in there with a Boomslang. I mean, that's, yeah. that's right in there. That's yeah. Nuts. They eat amphibians. They'll eat, you know, rodents and small mammals and, and reptiles. They, they have a pretty quick metabolism. Um, and, and oh, so they'll, they'll just pound the yeah, entire, yeah, they burn they'll, they'll, eat, food. they'll eat the nest, they'll eat mom and the eggs. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Okay. So they definitely gorge themselves at sittings. Like if they happen to be in the right place when the bats are coming home, they'll just ace bats as long as there are bats. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeez. these guys, um, 
they'll just eat anything. They're a generalist feeder. They're diurnal, that and being nut. up in the trees, they're going to grab whatever's trying to trying to hide and just eat it if it fits in their mouth. Wow. Yeah. It's like a it's like a tree creepo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Damn. All right. So, I mean, because of the quick metabolism, and then being a very very dark snake, I mean. That's got to be part of it, too, where they need to thermoregulate a ton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the heat of the day, I'm sure they pop out to the top of a tree. They warm up for half an hour and, and then go back up on their merry way hunting. So they're probably, you know, pretty quick animals, hard to catch a, a, from a predator standpoint. And, uh, yeah, I bet you these things dominate their habitats. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that, like, East Africa – Birds of prey in that area are, have got they're they're huge. I mean, we're talking um, harpy eagles and stuff like that. Uh, and then yeah, I mean, I mean anything, even the monitor lizards out there would be up yeah. for grabbing a, a grabbing a snake. You know, Jesus. Yeah. All right. Yeah, there'd be a so, lot of stuff. So breeding for these guys. So these guys are egg layers. They are oviparous, and they lay a respectable seven to twelve eggs. Um, and, and these guys, uh, they, they take about 80 to 88 days at, at sort of what we do for a lot of our Python temps, 86 or so degrees. Um, so a little bit of a longer incubation than most colubrids, but it seems like the North American colubrids are in like the 40 to 60 range and the African stuff is in like the 70 to 90 range. So it's consistent yeah. in that, but it is a little bit longer than what we think of. Is that just? Be, I mean, I know we we automatically think Africa very very hot, but that's only for a certain half of the year, right? I mean, if they're laying eggs, they got to be doing that. What at the, the uh, beginning of the the rainy season, right? I would think so. Yeah, so that once uh once the floods come through and then all the the plant life is rejuvenated and then all these animals bounce back, their eggs are hatching and then boom, and the baby's got something to eat before yeah. it starts getting really really hot and dry again. So. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these things seem to uh, to probably be easy to breed in captivity based on a lot of the notes I'm seeing. They are in the hobby, and people have had a lot of success cohabitating them. Um, okay. You know, just separating for, for feeding. It seems like they'll breed quite readily. You know, you keep them hot, you give them humidity. Um, you you do some cooling cycle in the, in the winter, similar to what we do, and you give them some arboreal hides. And they'll be good. So, like, if you've got them in cage with solid top, you can put those uh, the plastic hides up on the ceiling, or yeah, yeah, or, or do like you know corrugated tubes up on the wall or cork bark things. You could really go crazy depending on how you like to keep your animals. Uh, but it seems like if you give them lots of room and space and give them a hot spot, similar to what we do for a lot of pythons, you know, eighty-eight to ninety degrees, they really do well. I mean, keeping them together but separating for feeding. I mean. I've been doing that with my Vietnamese blue beauties and they tend to eat on that whole gorging thing just because that's how I feed them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it, it, no problems, no issues. So yeah, I mean, I could see that, but I mean, they, they're almost like you want to put them in one of those cages, like the cages by design cages, where it's like a giant closet. You, yeah. you, you want, you want vertical, more vertical than you want horizontal. Yeah, that would be cool. And the, the advantage to giving them all that vertical space is you make yeah. the hot spot where they're naturally going to go up and bask. And Climb. Then, and then you allow that. Yeah, you give them that climbing ability and that the thermal gradient that results is also appropriate. So when they're not digesting a meal, 
they can stay down in the, the high 70s, but they are probably a species that needs to eat a fair amount quite frequently, and they probably yeah. poop a lot. Yeah, I would imagine that happening. Yeah. And if they're if they're a fast metabolism kind of a deal, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So bioactive on the bottom. So. Yep, yep. But that's a, definitely a good vote for uh, doing a large bioactive. Like if you do a huge drainage layer, you know these companies are making these massive enclosures now for paludariums, but like because they're building up the 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 start of the door that creates like a, a ten inch basin. It actually works really well if you wanted to do a super healthy, deep, live planted substrate for yeah. having a massive cleanup crew for such messy snakes like these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So you could really do it up. You know, you, if you keep them with a hot spot, you keep the humidity up in the 60 to 70 percent and and you're prepared for for some mess. These things seem like they'd be a lot of fun, a great, you know, display piece, a nice species to have that would be active in a beautiful enclosure. Um, a really rewarding species for for people who are starting to shift like you know everyone to to wanting to see their snakes and given these sort of natural behaviors uh through through their environment it's it's a great species for that right and so and having wanting to have something that's a little bit different and a little bit on the cuff so we did say that they're rear fanged yes mildly venomous yes how potent to humans um, it's, it's considered mildly venomous, but then again, so are some people think boom songs are mildly venomous, but then you look at the LD 50 and it's, it's not just, you know, insignificant, um, given that they're in the hobby and, and that there haven't really been any reported incidents. My inclination is that it's on the same level as keeping Boiga, um, you know, okay. definitely take caution with crankier animals, avoid a bite because you don't know if you're allergic sort of thing. Right. Someone might have another reaction. Then. Yeah. And if you, if you do receive a bite, you probably want to keep an eye on it and, and, you know, document it because it'd be interesting to know, but like be prepared to get it treated because you never know. Um, even a mild infection can have lasting consequences. So mm. it could be something you don't want to mess with. That being said, uh, I have seen, you know, people handling them and keep them and, and not have issues. They're not uh, necessarily an aggressive or, or crazy snake. And they seem to give you plenty of warning when they're in a bad mood. They're just one of those tree snakes that like, if they're in a bad mood, they're not taking any chances or giving you any time to grab them. They're going to puff up. They're going to flatten. They're going to show their mouths and open mouth posture and kind of tell you off before it even gets to that point. So, yeah. you know, like with any species, all individuals can be different. I would imagine that uh, you could work with these animals, get them to a point where they could be handled, but they probably uh, would prefer to, to be in a tree because if they're going to be handled, you're, they're going to be moving all over the place. It's going to be a little crazy and it's, it doesn't take much for, for that sort of an incident to go to, to, you know, an unpleasant level for that snake and it turns around and bites you. So probably a, a look don't touch but it's probably safe for brief handling it, it's one of those things where you know it, it's going to give you a lot of you know a lot of it, it's going to give you a lot of chances to back the half off mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. maybe take it up on it um yeah. you know it, it's i know we talked a little bit about some african species of snakes being protective of their eggs are these guys any kind of protection or are they just 
drop them and go. Um, I didn't see anything about them being sort of nest guarding species or anything like that. I think these guys would probably dump them in a in a hollow and uh, in a tree and, hollow and bale and, yeah. and bale, or maybe stay near the tree or something at most. Yeah. But uh, I didn't find any recorded. Uh, documentations of animals nest guarding or anything, but that's not to say it doesn't happen. And they do go through some sort of cooling and cycling. I mean, would these guys be kind of a snake that you would consider for feed cycle just because of where they're from in Africa? Because, I mean, I know we talked about it with the egg years that they must gorge themselves when the birds are nesting and then kind of starve and hang on until they get here. With these guys eating so many things, in the forest, in the forest, just having so many things in Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think these guys are just eating year round on just depends on what they find? These guys probably uh, get some bust and boom. We know rodents are uh, are pretty prolific. And mm-hmm. and we know that there's a lot of reptiles in that area and, and a lot of, you know, different things for them to eat. Bats. Um, so rodents can produce multiple times a year. Bats can produce once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking chameleons that can have clutches or litters pretty often, and they're feeding on on snakes and frogs and stuff. So, um, or not snakes, excuse me, frogs, lizards, and other things. So there's food year round for these guys. So yeah. I would imagine there's probably you know peak seasons and like scarce seasons but i don't think they'd be like getting full like bust and boom where like all right food's cut off for six months sort of thing but i do think being a forest and woodland species uh they would still get some some rainy season cycling as well as minor food cycling but yeah i do think you could feed these guys year round just go lighter in like the peak season of summer and winter probably yeah Right. And uh, lifespan, I mean, we're looking at Boomslang, Boyega, yeah. lifespan size. Probably okay. 10 to 15 years, if not more. Uh, it's another one of those species where uh, we should know more than we do, but it's just not oh, we don't. not out yeah. there yet. <laughs> you know, we need to spend more time working with the species and, and kind of keeping them in, in human care to study how long these, these animals tend to live on average. Well, I mean, it, it, the problem I have with it is that it's a seven foot, seven and a half foot long animal. Um, and it's under a thousand grams, depending on the sex. Mm-hmm. So it's a very long, very thin, very small snake. Mm-hmm. But it's long as shit. So, you know, the issue then comes into it. Is it 10 plus years, 10 to 15 years in captivity where it's getting food on a regular basis? We're getting steady food where it. Maybe not necessarily should be getting steady food where it has a constant temperature where really this thing's just built to run up to the to where the trees break and get the direct heat and then run back into the woods. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would probably put my money on Vegas odds saying that it lives longer than what we think if given the optimum conditions. And do we have anything for the red list for these guys? Uh, nope, nothing red list wise that I could find. Um, if anybody out there knows more than I do, I didn't see anything up there on it. They, they're in the hobby. They're not, uh, they're not super, super well researched, but, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't need help. Uh, the only thing I could think of is maybe it's hard to study them where they're found. That's that's a lot of things that people got to understand about the uh, the red list. Sometimes no news is not good news. Right. Um, it just means that we haven't 
figured out just how screwed this one species is right now. Right. And certain, so, certain parts of Africa are really difficult for Western researchers and scientists to get into safely anyway. So that could right. play a role. And you're looking for a snake that may not necessarily be easy to find. And yeah. it might be in a terrible part of Africa that it's hard for you to get to. And right. You know, and that's also things a lot of times researchers have to prove why there's a need to go out there and look yeah. in order to get funding for research or for research and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it's yeah. yeah, unfortunately, snakes don't garner as much public attention. So they tend to tend to get, you know, ripple effect or umbrella in under, you know, big, sexy conservation initiatives like orangutans or gorillas and stuff, which is great because it does have ripple effects and work with other things. Right. But something like this. The only way you get such a, a, you know, a diehard devoted research team out there is if you've got somebody who's overly enthusiastic with good patronage for it. That or you're just um, you say you're going out there to research like Okapi <laughs> and then you just look for these the entire time. We got sidetracked. So, uh, didn't see an Okapi, but you see an Okapi? Nope. no, not at all. No. <laughs> there are pictures of an Okapi walking through your campsite. No, no, I didn't see it. I didn't see that photo. Wasn't there. Yeah, no. Sorry. Studying, uh, snake. Sorry. The snake. Yeah, but I got the snake research done. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day we'll know more. But they are cool. They are in the hobby. And again, this is a great candidate for somebody to uh, to kind of in give give them some light, highlight them a little bit if they can find yeah. some. And, and be a, a Jackson's tree snake guy and really get some attention on them and bring them into the forefront of the hobby because these things are cool. Well, if you're into tiger rats and other things like that, you know, this is a, or boom slangs and things like that. This, this kind of fits in that mold where oh, yeah. you could have a really cool, I, I keep thinking about um, Cody and Pia's place with their cages for their ah. mambas and stuff like that. Yes. And, and I, I keep thinking about those constantly because I'm very jealous of Cody and his, in his cages. Um, I would love to have this kind of a setup for something like this where, yep. you know, I know there's a pair in there, mm -hmm. their temperatures are set, they're act, their substrate's active, and then they just do their thing. If they need me to come by and pick off some stuck shed, I'll do that for them. But, you know, I put the food in there, they eat it, and every once in a while I'll check to the spots where I know she's been hanging out for eggs. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. It'd be really, that'd be a cool snake to like do a big elaborate enclosure and every yeah. couple of days, you know, you leave a, you could put like a little elevated food bowl and like put different foods in there. You could put like yeah. frogs legs. You could put reptile links. You could put small rodents. You could put like baby you put, quail. You could, you could do a simulated nest where you put two two chicks and a bunch of quail eggs. Yeah, call it a day. You know, yeah, and you could go really do that in certain areas. I mean, you can do that, and they can totally feed on that kind of stuff. And it's if you have lights up and high, it's almost like um, Steve Cat. Uh, Steve, mm -hmm. uh, God, uh, his um what they have over at the Reptech with the monitor cages that he's got over there oh yeah yeah that yeah, kind of steve stuff Kush. too Kush. that's why i do cats what's yeah, wrong with me steve it's too many there's <laughs> too many steves all yeah. right y'all need to pick different names so yeah no exactly like that you could go real crazy and do you something could. really fun i mean shoot you could you could even have like a, a colony of frogs living in there that they feed upon Jesus, that's a little too far for me. Well, so, I think I'm right. Sorry. Anyway, God. reeling it back in. <laughs> all right. So uh, that's an awesome species. So let's um, throw your stuff out there, and then we'll do the stuff for the podcast, and we'll talk about what's going to be on the next episode. All right. Well, for me, 
It's uh, Riley's Reptiles on all the social media stuff, Instagram, Facebook, and that good stuff. It's under my name, Riley Jimison, for my YouTube stuff. And then the other podcast I run is the Reptile Room Podcast on all major platforms. Cool. All right. Collier Corner is a member of the MPR Network, along with Morelia Python Radio, Carpet Cliff Notes, Student of the Serpent. So if you can, please go over and subscribe to all those podcasts. Morelia Python Radio is going to be entering its 10th season soon. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, right? So um, definitely go check out all those places. Uh, all great stuff going on there. Um, as far as uh, social media, you can look up uh, Carpet Cliff Notes on Instagram. Go ahead and give that a like over there. Uh, we'll also be posting up uh, notifications when a new episode of Caliber Corner drops, as well as pictures of the animals that we've covered. Also, if you go on MorelliPythonRadio.com, you can check out all the show notes and pictures from Carp from. Caliber Corner. There's too many. Almost <laughs> said carpet cliff notes. You can see those there too. Yeah. So, um, but uh, check that out. Um, and uh, if you have any questions or any species that you would like Riley and me to cover on Caliber Corner, uh, go ahead and give us a shout over on the Instagram page. All right, Riley. What is the next episode going to be about? All right. So, the next one. We're going into the the Asian rat snakes here, the Chinese rat snakes. We are going to be talking about the pearl rat snake, also known as Euprepiophis perlaceus. Pearl rat snake. All yeah. right. All right. That's gonna be cool. Yeah, you're All gonna right. like that one. I uh, probably I already kind of like it. <laughs> Just by the name. All right. All right. So that is the end of this episode of Color Corner. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.